Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance, so TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with their new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it, the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help make you into a better golfer. Check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. I'm Rex Hoggard. He's Ryan Labner. We are fresh off real, actual tour golf. I want to get to what happened at Colonial, but first I want your thoughts from home. I know you're at the Corn Ferry Tour event, but I think you watched it. What was the TV product like to you? I didn't. I didn't get to watch it that much, Rex. I was I was covering the final round of the of the Corn Ferry Challenge. I just caught little snippets here or there while I was trying to write my uh, Luke List gamer. Uh, slash first week back gamer and then and then drove the the two hours home. Uh, the the TV product to to me just just from the the little coverage I was able to see it didn't look all that different. It it might be because I'm desensitized to to perhaps covering more college events or more corn fairy events than 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 most fans are are used to who tune in on Sundays. But to me it didn't look all that un, un unusual. I mean the players are still able to to generate their own um, excitement and and fans at home can can still see the the coverage from multiple camera angles and and hear feedback from from all of the various analysts um i think you can get away with it with a colonial with a hilton head with the travelers with a rocket mortgage something like that i i think something will be lost however um if if you don't have that fan experience if you do have that kind of scaled back production that we're likely to see at the major championships and in particular beginning um, in August at the PGA Championship, which has already announced that it will be held. The pu- public officials, public health officials in San Francisco greenlighted it, uh, however, without spectators and very likely with a very minimal uh, production footprint, which I think will be very interesting. And I'm going to get into that because I think for the foreseeable future, we may be looking at an entire season without fans. But I did want to just touch on the idea. The last time you and I chatted, I was on a tennis court in Fort Worth, Texas, and in case anyone has not caught up, Tiger Woods is not playing this week in Hilton Head since we sort of left the it, yacht, left it the hang. yacht. Do not, yeah, do not, uh, do not follow the yacht. The yacht yeah, is misleading. Yeah. That does not lead you to the golden uh, ground. But I will say this: like through two rounds last week, and and we talked about it, it kind of felt normal. It felt like all right, there was no fans, but look, six fifty on Thursday morning at a PGA Tour event, there's normally not a lot of fans. I will say the weekend was very, very different. Not flat necessarily and you're right I mean the players created their own adrenaline they created their own excitement but like one of the people I spoke to was Gary Woodland who just said it it wasn't hitting it his driver as far as he normally does and a lot of that I think has to do with when you stand on that tee and all you see is fans down each side of the fairway there is a 
jolt that it gives you. Billy Horschel actually gave me a great explanation on Sunday night when I was talking about him. He said he wears one of those watches that tracks your heartbeat. And that Justin Thomas had asked him, hey, what's been your heartbeat the last couple of rounds? And Billy told me that normally during a tournament round of golf, his heartbeat is about 105 beats per minute. So you're always kind of excited and jacked up. During last week, it was like 92. And I mean, that's a real quantifiable way of saying that, yes, this is something that players are going to have to get over. Look, they're all happy to do it. We're all happy to be playing golf. But this is part of that new reality that they have to get used to. And what was your what was your main takeaway from from the first event, Rex? I mean, you had you had a good winner in, in Daniel Berger, a guy who was certainly trending in the right direction. Kyle Morikawa, I think we can all agree, is a as a future superstar on the PGA Tour. Uh, the, his iron player in particular really makes him stand out. Roy faded on Sunday. Bryson's bigger than ever, um, and, and and really overpowering a golf course that that you were supposed to play a little bit of small ball, and he was still hitting at 350, 360, and, and seemed like he still had some more in the tank. So what was your, your main takeaway? Was it on the on the actual golf course, or was it more that, that we, we got through this first week fine with all of the testing and protocols? No, as good as the competition was on the golf course, and it, it was very, very good coming down the stretch. There was a lot happening on Sunday afternoon. It was actually very, very enjoyable to sit down and try to keep up with the action, and, and you had six guys who held at least a share of the lead through the first nine holes. So there was a lot happening. It was certainly entertaining. For me, though, I think you all have to just go to the idea that that first week back was a victory for the PGA Tour. Uh, Commissioner Jay Monahan actually held a conference call on Sunday as the tournament was finishing up, which he never does. And he talked about the idea. There was no Jay, positive Jay test. Monahan did on Sunday? As the he leaders was, he was, on the back nine. Yeah, was, indeed. Wow. He was, he was walking the back nine with the final group of the Corn Ferry event. Do you think he, he was an uninterested bystander off. in all this? He must have he must have peeled off. But yes, it was a victory. I mean, and look, he was none of us need to take a victory lap, certainly not the commissioner, because they know that this week is another I crucial certainly wouldn't week. wouldn't do it after week one. Absolutely not. But no positive tests, no issues, no, no withdrawals, nothing that even looked remotely troublesome. And I think that was sort of what you needed to hang your hat on, simply because we've been doing this a long time, getting ready for this. And the idea that everyone was watching was very much on the forefront of everyone's mind. The commissioner said that, look, he's talked to the commissioners from the other leagues. He knew they were watching. He knew they were trying to dissect exactly what the PGA tour was doing. That being said, we, we started all over again this week in Hilton. You started all over again in St. Augustine at the coin Ferry tour event. I think there is always going to be vigilance. That's going to have to be the cornerstone of this policy. And I, I would have thought, and we've talked about this over the past couple of months as we were kind of gearing up for a return to golf, is that players and caddies were going to be on their best behavior that first week. You know that millions of viewers are going to be tuning in. You know that people are going to be waiting for them to, to screw up and, and do something wrong and not follow these 37 pages of protocols. And from from my experience watching the players and caddies on the Corn Ferry Tour and then your experience out there on the PJ Tour, it still seemed like it was, it was pretty lax. And, and players and caddies weren't following – Every guideline, they weren't socially distancing. They weren't wiping down the flag sticks and bunker rakes like they're supposed to. They're still going out to dinner. They're not all staying in this host hotel. Um, and so the the first week, you got through it fine, and that's terrific. I think the, the main thing um, that was a, a takeaway from Saturday night, Sunday morning, was that you didn't have any withdrawals uh, for the players who were going to be hopping on that Monday morning charter. I thought that was an important step. That means they actually got through a tournament week. Um, and no one picked up the virus, which I think is important. But I also, I, I worry now that once the first week is over and once no one tested positive and it seemed to go all right, now 
they going to be even more lax? Are are these just going to be suggestions now and and not recommendations? Is not you know strong recommendation was the the verbiage throughout those thirty seven pages of safety protocols. Does everyone kind of put their foot now off of the brake and and stomp it down on the accelerator a little bit more? And and to me, it's always going to come down to what do these weeks look weeks two through four. What is that going to look like in terms of of players going through these protocols? Do we have more positive tests? Is there a mini outbreak that needs to be, you know, kind of tamped down? To me, if we can get through Detroit, um, we we may we may have some smooth sailing uh, into the fall. Well, and to your point, again, the commissioner talking with a handful of reporters on a conference call on Sunday, it was revealing that he talked about having a lot of sleepless nights coming into that first event for the idea being simply that how many positive tests is too many positive tests. We've covered this ground. However, we have yet to come up with a good answer. I'm sure the commissioner and the tour doesn't want to get to that point, but it's interesting and telling that that's something that's kept him up at night. Yeah, I mean, what is, what's the number, three? Five, ten. Where do you where do you, where do you draw the line? I said ten. You said five. My guess is it's somewhere probably in between. I mean, this I mean, is exact a lot. science. Well, and it's going to go to. And again, I'm not a scientist. I don't want to play one on a podcast. But I think this goes to the idea that it, it, it's all about tracing at that point. If someone has a positive test, okay, how many people have you been in contact with? And once you start going down that rabbit hole, I think that's where the tour gets a little panicky. That once you start talking to players, three degrees of separation, then you start having a concern. Because look, there are players on the in the NBA who are saying that they're not comfortable with their comeback policy. And by and large, the, the PGA Tour players have been almost 100% in on this. However, you get one thing going sideways, and I can see, can you imagine a scenario where the NBA, we would have players saying something similar to what some NBA players are saying now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly an interesting... Uh, scenario pga tour players i mean are are full steam ahead with this thing rex you had colonial last week that had 72 uh uh world ranking points to the winner that was the strongest field easily in, in tournament history this week at at heritage now withdrawn before the tournament it might it might alter a little bit but you're looking at the second strongest regular season ever um on the pga tour you're now you move to travelers is going to have what eight of the top nine or nine of the top ten uh, players in the world teeing it up there. I mean, if if they're apprehensive at all about what the tour has put forth and kind of putting themselves in this traveling bubble, they're they're certainly not showing it. These fields are as strong as ever. These guys can't wait to get out there. They're they're looking at taking maybe three or four weeks off now through Labor Day. I mean, it's the the, the best players want to be out there and they they feel safe. They feel safe playing tournament golf again. Let me ask you a hypothetical here because I know how much you, you enjoy those. I, I got beat up last week on Twitter by Lee Westwood for simply reporting a fact. And the fact was it was the strongest field according to the world ranking ever in the history of Colonial. That was it. It was simply fact. There was no editorial opinion whatsoever in that. Lee Westwood having an agenda here. Well, let's call it what it is. The European tour is not scheduled to come back until the end of July. And there are European tour players who are not happy that the world ranking point system started back up again last week with Colonial because they're going to lose ground. And if you look at the rankings, Lee Westwood lost ground this week. I don't know what the other scenario is other than Lee had an invitation to play last week. Like, is there something that I'm missing here? 
this clearly bothers you because you mentioned it on the podcast last week. You're did you're I? I'm, clearly, I'm sorry. I'm very bothered. You're by clearly it. still bit about the fact that 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 Westwood was chirping at you. I honestly do not understand what the big deal is. The official World Golf ranking has gone to the various tours and said, if you have a WGC event or you have a major, you need to use the qualifications from when the rankings were frozen in mid-March. So yes, players are going to lose ground. They're going to drop from 50th to 60th or whatever the case may be. It does not matter for the rest of 2020. As long as you continue to play well, once your various tours starts up in late July, you'll be able to make up ground again. It is not going to hurt you in 2020, and very likely it's not going to affect you at all if you're even looking ahead to the Masters next year or uh, the Olympics, the, the qualification cutoff next June in 2021, play well, it's not going to matter. I mean, it, it's it's not a big deal for the rest of 2020. These guys just are so butthurt by this. You know, I just realized why I brought it back up again. I think you defended me last week as well. So maybe you defend me so rarely that maybe I just needed to hear hear it one more time. You <laughs> jumping to my defense. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably that's probably like you. It's it's usually a very indefensible uh, argument that you make. So um, I'm happy to support you on this I, one. I, I appreciate the help. We would be uh, remiss not to point out. Happy birthday to Phil Mickelson. He turns 50 today. We uh, as we sort of outlined how what it looks like to cover a PGA Tour event. Uh, we have to send sort of a text message to a media official to ask for a comment from a player on Friday as Phil was missing the cut. We all sent the text message to ask Phil maybe what he planned to do today for his big birthday and plans going forward. And it was, uh, I counted it up. It was exactly eight words and it was along the lines of, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's uh, it's just going to be my birthday. I got the distinct impression. Thanks for the story idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't go very far with that one. That one didn't get into print. The idea being, though, he has to be the most reluctant 50-year-old I have ever run across in golf in my entire career. It, yeah, I think you're, you're probably right. He's, he's made no, no bones about the fact that he, he has no interest in joining the senior tour for the foreseeable future. Uh, I believe his quote at the beginning of the year was he wanted to see how these first six months go, and then you know, you know, maybe he, he kind of reevaluates. Well, he, had a, he, he popped up at the European tour event uh, earlier this year, I think, what, in Saudi Arabia, posted a top three finish there. Um, and then, of course, we we shut down for three and a half months. And so Pebble. he had a think, top ten at Pebble. He had a top, you know, top ten at Pebble. Over Pebble. Yeah. Okay, I forgot about Pebble. It happened so long ago. Um, okay. But I I think I think the the Champions Tour is just so far off. Um, I I don't think his I don't think his game is any good right now. I don't think he's any he's 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 anywhere close to to winning a PJ Tour event. Uh, certainly, what we saw at Colonial. But um, you know, he certainly makes things interesting. You, uh, I would certainly think his Ryder Cup days are over, his team competition days are over, unless he's going to be captaining those squads. No, I, I would agree with that. And, I mean, if you had to put it over-under on him playing his first champion tour event, you're saying, I mean, let's just jump it ahead. 2025 probably, is that where you're going with that one? Uh, let's see, uh, 2022. 2022. Uh, that seems early to me. All right, so in honor of Phil, and there's been so much, there's, there's a lot of territory to pull from here, and I'm, I'm blind signing you, so I'll give you a second to pick your favorite film moment or the most telling film moment of his career. Cause I, the one that immediately comes to my mind is not a good moment for Phil. I, I wonder if you're thinking of the one that I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Oh six open at, at Wingfoot and him saying that he's such an idiot to me. That is to me, that is the defining Phil Mickelson moment. No. Yeah. I, that's where my mind went. I think that's funny that everyone's mind 
goes there because there's been so many other, you know, the, the man, the first masters and the emotion of it all. Certainly Shinnecock just a few years ago would be one that came to mind where he starts mm. batting balls around the green. So it, it, we could probably keep doing this for 50, but we will not because, because only because it was actually golf last week. And I did want to get your thoughts on Rory looked like he was going to win the next five events that he plays through two rounds. And then the second two rounds, he did not look like the world number one. Is this rust or is this something that you would probably keep an eye on going forward? I think this was something that we were keeping an eye on even before we before we got to Colonial. I mean, you looked at his 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 starts to to twenty twenty, um, and it seems like forever ago. You know, it seems you know it's technically only three or four months ago, but it, it feels like an eternity. But you know, he had all those close calls. You you look at uh, at Tory Pines. He played in the final group there and and, and retreated at, at Riviera. He made a mess on I think the fifth hole. Um, he made a it, he made a triple bogey and, and kind of faded from contention there. Um, in Mexico, he he never could get things going in the final round. Bay Hill also top five finish there and just couldn't get it couldn't get it going on on Sunday. And then you saw what he did uh, at Colonial ended up backing up all the way outside the, the top thirty. You know, there's nothing to scoff at when you when you have these top five finishes, but when you're you are the the number one player in the world, when your statistics are so um, superior across the board, your strokes gain statistics are so superior to your peers, you are expected to close out those tournaments, right, rightly or wrongly. I'm not saying you need to close out every single one. That'd be unfair. That, that, would, that would be a disservice to the rest of the PGA Tour players. Uh, however, you've at least got to pick off one of those, don't you? I mean, he's played five times now in 2020. Three of those have gone four top 10 finishes, four of those, or excuse me, four of those have gone for, for top five finishes and yet no wins. To me, there is a little bit of cause for concern, but we'd been talking about that before this pandemic and, and he picked up right where he left off, unfortunately, at Colonial on, on Sunday. And it's always a cliche that I fall back on that it's never fair to kind of put those Tiger Woods type numbers on other players. And it's really not. You can't compare anyone to what Tiger did, not even really Jack Nicklaus, if you're going to break the numbers down and look at them very, very closely. I'll, I'll take it a step further on this one. I don't think, I think it's an unfair comparison when you compare what Roy McIlroy is capable of doing on a golf course and what he does, I'll say it, more times than not. And that's a top five finish, which is fantastic on the PGA Tour. Let's don't gloss over how, how competitive he has been year in and year out for over the course of his career. However, when you're right, when you look at the swing, when you look at the stats, when you look at all the things that should separate a very good player from a great player, Rory has them all. And so, yes, we sit around on Saturday afternoon, or at least I sat around on Saturday at Colonial, thinking to myself, Rory's going to shoot 63 and run away with this thing. And it went the opposite direction. And it is concerning, only in the short term, because I truly believe that just like he did last year when we were probably having this exact same conversation about what's wrong with Rory, these top five finishes aren't good enough for him. And then he ends up going on a tear. And he ends up winning a, a very, very dominant player's performance at TPC Sawgrass. I, I think that's more of what Rory McIlroy is. I, I think I said it a, a little while ago that he's probably a little bit more like Phil Mickelson than Tiger Woods in the grand scheme of things. Look, he's, he's first on the PGA Tour in round one scoring average. And he is 79th on the PGA Tour in final round scoring average. To me, that suggests that when the opening round comes and the bell goes off, he's loose and he's free and he's he's playing relaxed and he's able to to access his his best golf. And then when the pressure comes and he's more often than not going to be in contention when you are 
first on the PGA Tour in scoring average and first round scoring average under 68. Now you are going to be in contention. The pressure builds, the tension builds, the anxiety builds. And, and so far this season, he has not been able to produce his best stuff on Sunday. I think it's, I think it's something to, to keep an eye on. It's something that we've kept our eye on for the last couple of years now. And until, um, you know, he, he throws one of those, those, those Sundays like he did in Canada last year, uh, I think it's, I think it's something intriguing and he needs to be able to, to somehow figure that out because he's, he's what, let's see, he's two and a half shots worse from Saturday to Sunday. And a half shots worse. Yes. I understand the pressure small is higher. Window. I understand that the, the course also, is probably small, going to get more difficult. You're looking at a very small statistical window, by the way, you're this season got, got cut, cut off at the knee. So let's, let's take this for what it's worth. Yes. He, that is a, you're very proud of that stat as you should be, but it's a very small statistical window. Okay. Do you want to look at last year? Sure. Take your time. We, we have nowhere to go. He's actually 34th last year uh, in scoring average. Still and a shot worse. This, okay. So you're not I mean, as proud of that some, stat. Okay, we'll move on. I'm not, I, am, I, am not, I am not as proud of, of that stat. Um, uh, here's another however, stat. I think, I think it is something to look at. Uh, here's another stat I'll throw at you, and I'm going to get this wrong, and I apologize in advance. It was either our, our great colleague from Scotland, John Huggin, or maybe it was our, our former Golf Channel, our, our, sorry, our Golf Channel colleague, Aaron O, who said, and, and this was great. Former? Tw- what happened to, I'm what sorry, happened to yeah, AO? Not former. I, I, I fired AO, and I apologize, AO, for that. You are not. You are not. I'll be the first one fired. He was, was either one of these that said it in a tweet that Bryson gained 20 pounds, Gary Woodland lost 25 pounds, and both of them think it's going to help their golf game. That's the best definition of golf I've ever heard. I thought that was brilliant. Didn't you tweet that? I did not. I wish I did. I'm not that creative. You, know you had that. something similar to that. I mean, what did, what did you make of Bryson? I, I'm not even sure if you could get face-to-face with him. Um, Couldn't get face-to-face with seeing, anybody. Just seeing, I know just seeing him at, at Riviera, he's, he, he was already a, 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 a fairly large human being. And then I saw him at Riviera because he's trying to drive it over the over the net. And I was talking to him for a story there. And, you know, he's he's huge. And now it just seems like he's he's enormous. And and look, all the all the chuckleheads on on Twitter are, are having a, an absolute field day uh, with with Bryson, you know, saying he, he you know, Brant Seneca didn't withdraw. Uh, you know, Bryson actually just just ate him, you know, check check his fridge for, for the remnants of Sneds. Um, and so, look, the, these guys are having a field day, but you can't. You can't knock Bryson. I mean, he put his mind to something. He wanted to be longer. And right now he's leading the PJ Tour in driving distance. He's third in strokes gained off the tee. I mean, he is he is overhauled and transformed himself into a great player and one of the elite drivers of the golf ball on the PJ Tour. You have to give him credit. I am not going to knock Bryson for that. No, I mean, look, he he wants to perfect his craft, and I have respect for anyone who wants to perfect your craft, especially when you're already at the level that he was at. If I'm going to knock him for anything, it was that 15-minute video that he posted on Instagram. And it's just 15 minutes of flexing in a convertible Bentley and look at my home gym. That one I'll knock him for because I, I believe it was a little bit tone deaf given the, the the landscape right now that we're at. But as far as from not a the most Not the most self-aware moment, yeah. No, no. And, and you know, I, I get we all kind of went through our own stuff through that three months and we dealt with it however we wanted to deal with it. That probably was not the best way to scream at the top of your lungs. Hey, everybody, look at all my cool stuff. Yeah, but he's clearly proud of his body transformation. I'm not sure um, if it helps his rep with his peers. 
Um, I, I, I always go back to the, the showdown that they had in New Jersey last year for the Northern Trust when, when Brooks kind of called him out or, or no. So Bryson called out Brooks and Brooks went right over to him on the putting green. This kind of all stems from there where he felt a little bit emasculated and I'm not sure if putting on 40, 50 pounds uh, helps his rep among the players in the locker room, but if it, if it helps him feel better about himself, great. Uh, it's certainly leading to some better results on the golf course. Perfect transition. Check this out. Brace yourself for this. That whole exchange between Brooks yeah. and Bryson was all about Bryson being a slow player, right? Everyone sort of saw some videos and some time of him taking egregious amounts of time to, to hit shots. And that's how this all got started. What I'm working on today, and I think this is fascinating, that of all the things that got pushed back or pushed under the rug or disappeared during the pandemic and the three months of quarantine, the one thing that stands out in my mind, at least as far as the tour is concerned, this event would have been the first event that the PGA Tour's new pace of play policy would have been in effect. And essentially this policy zeroes in and drills down on the slowest players among them, the, the bottom 10%, which, look, I followed Bryson a little bit outside the road for last, last week. He's still part of that bottom 10%. He's slow on the greens. He is definitely sped up with his full shots. There's no doubt about that. Perhaps. And, and that probably has something to do with the fact he's hitting the cover off the ball. And, and when you're hit, driving at 400 yards, you can just sort of stand up and whack at it. That being said, of all the things in the, in the Premier Golf League came, got brought up last week as well, and all of these different things, it's the one that stands out in my mind that, man, like we're never going to get back to this anytime soon. No. I mean, I, I remember reaching out to the PJ Tour a couple months ago slow play is uh to to say it's on the back burner is um is a understatement i mean you can maybe look at this in october uh other than that i think you're looking for a full sample size next year what do you think i think that's probably a good bet but but again and there's been dozens of things i brought up the premier golf league which got so many headlines earlier this season and we did not hear about it until there was a brief mention from rory last week talking about he'd like to see some synergy more between the world tours uh, testing of drivers, whatever a that world tour thing. would be amazing. A world tour would be absolutely amazing. Do we not already have a world tour? Uh, I'm saying a unified world tour, a unified world tour, which would include How is it not already unified. You got a desert swing to start the year. You go out on the West coast, then you go to Florida. Then I think there's a, there's a window in, in, in April and May where you can, you can throw some of these um, European events in there, which I think would be terrific. And then you head back in the States for, for major season. And, oh, I think it'd be, I think it'd be terrific. I think it, I'd be absolutely terrific. Don't we already have the WGCs and the majors? Or is that or is that not a world tour? Again, it's my... You mean the WGCs that are primarily in the United States? Sure, absolutely. No. And, and look, I'm not trying to be a protectionist here. I mean, I understand that no one wants professional golf to travel more than me. However, it's been my experience watching the WGCs around the world that those huge inflated purses with that good of a field can't really be sustained around the globe. You don't think players would, would turn up for an Irish open or a Scottish open. I'm talking, I'm talking American players. Yes. During, yes. during Doesn't... a, during a down period of the, of the quote unquote PJ tour during late April and may heading into the U S open. You don't think they'd go overseas. This is more of an economics conversation that i'm having yes of course the players are going to show up the, the best want to play against the best and if there's a wgc in ireland of course 
you're going to get the best players. I'm more talking about finding a sponsor in Ireland that's willing to sign off on that bill. I'm talking about finding a sponsor in South Africa, in Australia. To have have an $8 million purse, which is what the PGA Tour players are expecting? Yes. Yes, that's more the issue. I would agree with that. That's the challenge. This is more about economics than it is the the optics of whether or not players would play. Of course, they would play. But I agree with you. And I think Rory's to Rory's point, I think he'd just like to see some sort of closer connection between specifically the European Tour and the PGA Tour. And and we just addressed it with the the Lee Westwood – world golf ranking issue sometimes there's a disconnect between those two tours they don't get along and it's the players that end up suffering yes i mean you've got a you've got a lee westwood you've got a tommy fleetwood you've got a francesco molinari who has who has nowhere to play now for the next couple months now that's partly because of the restrictions that are in place with with travel coming into the united states and, and heading back home uh to england you have the 14-day quarantine on either side and that was that was not an option uh, that seemed desirable to to those players, but but look, they're also sitting on their hands for for four or five months here and potentially missing out on the PJ Championship in San Francisco uh, because they they don't want to make the travel and they and they feel kind of beholden to their home tour. I loved, uh, I think, our Will Gray, who I now follow on Twitter, by the way. I, I've learned my lesson on that one. But he tweeted out, I think yesterday, on Monday after the ranking came out, pointing out how low Francesco Molinari had dropped Molinari had dropped in the field. And I understand that, and certainly there's something to be said for the idea that, look, him him sitting in London right now, avoiding that two-week quarantine that he would have to go to is certainly understandable, but let's be honest. Francesco had not been playing his best golf up to this point. So all of these things you have to take in context. Yes. I, the, I, do we have to get into this thing again? The world no, no, ranking no, I'll, debate I'll is so stupid. No, I, so I wanted stupid. to hear you. It does not oh, affect I, you in 2020. I just Move wanted to on. You, you come to my defense one more time, and Lee Westwood. I, I'll – I, I'm going to let us out of here on this, and only because, and I'll give you credit on this one. This is your flexing. Morikawa, Colin Morikawa, moved up to 15th on the U.S. Ryder Cup points list last week. Does he or does he not, if we play the matches, make the team? Well, you're looking at a situation. Of, now, now, Rex, I'm not sure even sure if we covered this on the podcast. You, you're now going to have just six automatic six qualifiers and six picks. Uh, are we fully confident that Steve Stricker has seen Colin Morikawa play golf, or do we think that he'll just fall into this usual trap that we have with these captains pick of, of a Ricky or a Phil? Obviously, Tiger is going to be a shoe, and if he doesn't, if he's not one of those top six qualifiers, or if Bubba starts playing well, I mean, Steve Stricker is just dripping with petulance. Steve Stricker is a company guy. He's got his boys. And Kyle Morikawa, at this point, is not one of Steve Stricker's boys. If Kyle Morikawa is not on that U.S. Ryder Cup team, we need to stage a revolt. Oh, here we go. That, see, that's what I was pushing for right there. That's beautiful. Because it, you say, has Steve Stricker ever seen Morikawa play golf? I don't know that Steve Stricker even knows who Morikawa is. Right. I, I, he, he, I can't imagine he has his phone number. Can't imagine they've ever played together. Can't imagine... You know, they've been in any sort of communication. I can't imagine that Kyle Morikawa has been fitted for, for U.S. team uniforms. <laughs> I mean, come on. If Kyle Morikawa is not on that team, and I'm not sure that he's not going to be one of those automatic qualifiers. He's got until the BMW Championship to move into that top six. Yes, he, he you know, those other players had a head start with the, with the points accumulating beginning at the beginning of 2019 when, when Morikawa, don't forget, was still in college. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if he grabs one of those, those final few spots because 
he's a stud. He's, he's there every single week. He's made what 21 consecutive cuts uh, to start his pro career second only to tiger, uh, which is awfully good company. So Kyle Morikawa will be a U.S. Ryder Cupper. If not, they should just cancel the matches anyway. I love it when I know exactly get you on your high horse. Just dripping with condensation. Ranking, so rankings in Kyle Morikawa. Oh, yeah. I, I knew that. And, and of those, those Morikawa, Hovland, and Wolf, I think you agree that it's Morikawa that seems to have the best long-term potential, correct? Yeah. I, you know, I, I probably would have had a different answer, uh, let's see, a year ago at this point just because Matt Wolf was coming off a, a, a dominant college golf season where he, he won the NCAA championship rather easily. Um, you know, Hovland always seemed like the, the safest to me. And Morikawa was a guy in college who was an absolute top five machine. He was there every single week on the best fields, against the best field on the best courses. He was there every single week. However, he didn't win all that often. And so, you know, he, he's never been a strong putter. He's always been an elite ball striker. But when you see now on the PGA Tour, uh, it's it's kind of a what we saw for four years of college. You know, he he needs to improve his putting. But yes, I think at this point right now, you'd be stupid to say that Morikawa isn't going to be the best of the three. I'll take complete responsibility for that bad detour right there because I set you up to go down this this obviously boring road of college golf. So I'll completely I have to, take no, responsibility I have to say, for that. No, I mean I think it's isn't it important to note that a year ago the answer would have been different. Uh, sure. I did not need to, you to start going through card by card of all of his college tournaments. I will say this, that I question the Ben Hogan award, that he is a two-time runner up for that, that he pointed out on Sunday that this is the third time he's finished runner up at colonial. So I question, what are you doing? What's happening? What are you I'm judging a, this a, on? I'm a Hogan award voter. I know you are. That's why I'm throwing this at you without going I'm, too much into detail because no one cares, but what are you thinking about? I'm trying, well, I'm trying to think, who he lost to? Certainly, one of them was John Rahm. Uh, no, I think it was Hovland, Hovland, and Doug Gim. Ooh, hmm. I wrote Doug this. Gim. Is the only reason I know that. Okay, but, yeah. well, Doug Gim would be a, certainly that would be a questionable choice to have. I mean, Doug Gim had a had a fabulous college and, and amateur career. Uh, ooh, I, as a voter, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pour through my my past ballots. I'm not sure I would have voted for Doug Kim that year. Keep in mind, just, just because I voted for, for Kyle Morikawa does not mean that Kyle Morikawa is going to be. Did you vote for him the, the, the last two years? Let's, let's just put this out there. To, then fine. Did, so, I'll, I'll end this conversation with this. Was, uh, was one of the years John Rom? No. It had it to was, have been. I just told you it was Victor Hovland and Doug Kim. Hovland won that award? Yes. According to the, the information I was given by apparently our real college expert. Boy, the pandemic has really altered my short-term memory here. Uh, All right, I'm going to put it in this. I, I I'm would have voted Morikawa for one of those years. I would have voted for Morikawa the Doug Gim year, for sure. Uh, I, I promise we'll do better next week. We won't get into any college golf. That'll do it for us. Uh, we appreciate What happens if there's college in. golf news? What happens? Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver.
Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.